well. I really, really do. Um, my dear son. <laughs> he got propitiation out. Everyone was hanging. Can he, will he be able to pull it off? And he did. Good on you, Levi. <laughs> it's pretty hard for a young Australian to, to get that one out, but uh, he did it. We've got to raise up the young ones, eh? Well, um, welcome to the next uh, instalment of our Walk in the Light series. Um, this is our fourth sermon. We're beginning chapter two today, looking at verses one to six. Um, let's, uh, let's pray and just commit this to the Lord. We really, really need Him and want Him to work in our lives. So let's, let's commit that. Yes, Father, you are good. And I thank you that you've given us your word, that we may uh, know you, that we may follow you, that we might know what you expect and even demand of our lives. Lord, we have ears to hear and a heart to understand your word. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts to challenge us, to transform us, to bring change so that we might live a life that's pleasing to you, so that we might be the light in the darkness of this world and so that we would walk in a way uh, that is pleasing to you, a, a way that Christ lived. Help us to be more like that today as we, uh, before we leave. And so we commit it to you. Um, lead us and guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just about every time I stand up here, there is something that just takes me to Ephesians, which just reminds me of the spiritual battle that we're actually in. It's usually microphones that do that. Um, but it's true. Especially when practice does go perfect, you know, tech, tech, technology-wise. Um, it is very interesting how things just start bugging up. But anyway, to the text. Um, today we hear from the Apostle John again, um, and he's going to give us uh, two truths and a test. Two truths and a test. Truth number one is, whoever knows Jesus has protection from sin. Truth number two is, whoever knows Jesus has protection from God. And the test will tell if you actually know Jesus or not. So truth number one, whoever knows Jesus has protection from sin. Verse one, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So that you may not sin. What we see here in this verse, in these early parts, is protection from sin. Right, John has already told us why he's writing in chapter 1. He mentioned that so that we can have true fellowship with God uh, and with one another and that our joy may be complete. And now he adds a bit more detail. He says he's writing um, so that the Christians may not sin. John's a pastor. John's a shepherd. Uh, and he wants to protect the flock of God. Right? He wants to protect his people from committing sin. Now notice that he calls them little children. Little children. It's an affectionate term, right? Little children. Uh, 
it highlights his care and concern for the Christians. Seven times in this, in this little letter, um, John calls the Christians little children. And I totally get it. As a dad, I want nothing more than to protect my kids from sin or keep, keep my children on track. Right? Nothing brings me greater joy than seeing my kids walking in obedience to God. And that's exactly what John wants, right? He's providing protection. He wants to see the Christians walking in obedience to God. And what does he say to these little children? What does John have to say? How does he, and how does he provide this protection? Well, he speaks the truth in love, right? He provides godly counsel uh, to protect them from sin. Listen to what he says. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, Little children... Your sins are forgiven through his name. He's reminding the flock that Jesus has taken care of their sin problem. Right? That Jesus is the ultimate protection from sin. In chapter 2, verse 28, he says, Little children, remain in him. Right? John's encouraging his flock not to stray away from Jesus uh, and the true gospel, but to follow him and his ways so that they don't sin. In chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Little children, do not let anyone deceive you. Right? He's warning them to be aware of those who will try and, and destroy their faith. Right? He's protecting them from being tricked and sinning against God. In 3, verse 18, he says, Little children, love each other practically and speak the truth about Jesus. Right? John's teaching, teaching his flock how to, how to love others the Jesus way, right? And protecting them from living like sinful hypocrites. In 4 verse 4, he says, Little children, you are from God, right? He's reminding the flock about their identity, that they're children of God, and he's protecting them from living in sin like the rest of the world. And in 5 verse 21, the very last verse of the book, he says, Little children... Keep yourselves from idols, right? He's keeping the eyes of the flock fixed on the good shepherd, right? He's protecting them. He doesn't want them to chase after the things of the world, but to follow Jesus, the good shepherd. He's protecting them from sinful idolatry. And in verse 1 today, chapter 2, verse 1, he, this gets right to the heart of why he's writing. He says, my little children, I am writing you so that you may not sin. This is John, one of the sons of thunder. Right? He's been softened by God. He's been shaped by God. Right? And God has done that for at least one reason, so that he can become a loving pastor and shepherd his people well. Right? God provides protection from sin through John to his people. Right? He's guarding them, he's guiding them from being led into sin. And whether led, led astray by unbelievers or whether by, um, they're led astray by their own sinful hearts. Right? Hearts that just chase after the things of this world to no end. But what about us? Well, don't we need protection from sin too? Right? Don't we need that guarding and guiding as well? Well... As a pastor, I guess at this point, I could ask some 
probing questions. I could ask, who or what is leading you at the moment? I could ask, what have you been, what have you been desiring most of all lately? Whose voices are you listening to most at the moment? Who has the most influence over you? Are you following Jesus and can your actions prove it? I could go ahead and ask questions like that. I'm not going to, but I could. Or I could provide protection like Jesus. Little children, brothers and sisters, your sins are forgiven through his name. Give thanks and glory to God. Give thanks and glory to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, remain in him. Remain in Jesus. Remain in Christ. Stay close to him. Follow him. Brothers and sisters, don't let anyone deceive you. Know the true gospel and stand firm in it. Brothers and sisters, continue to love each other well. Do the work of God. Imitate Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are from God. You are eternally loved. He's loyal to you, so stay loyal to him. Brothers and sisters, keep yourselves from idols. Pursue God, not the things of this world. We need counsel like that. We need ongoing protection from sin. And thankfully, God gives us his word and gives us his spirit to guide us, to convict us, to keep us on the path. But we also have each other. We have each other to speak the truth in love, to protect one another from sin. And if you truly know Jesus, you'll want this kind of protection. You'll want it, right? And if you know Jesus, you have this protection from sin. But... Yet, we still sin. Right? Back in verses 5 to 10, uh, John says plainly, if anyone denies that they have sinned, they are deceived. Whoever claims that they have not sinned makes God out to be a liar, he says. The truth is, we've all sinned and fallen galaxies short of, of God's standard light years below the standard that God expects. He also says, whoever agrees with God about their sinful state, whoever confesses their sin to God, will receive forgiveness of sin and cleansing of all unrighteousness. And what you and I need more than anything is forgiveness and cleansing of sin. Right? What we need most of all is to be made righteous, to be made acceptable to God. And this brings us to truth number two. Whoever knows Jesus has protection from God. You probably don't hear that sentence too much. I'll unpack it. Whoever knows Jesus has protection from God. Before I was a Christian... I had to go to court several times and stand before a judge. And once, or maybe twice, it was for being a public nuisance while having a big night out on, on the town. 
and I had to go into the main court in, in Brisbane City and stand in front of a judge and give an account for everything that I did that night. Um, now, I didn't remember anything um, from the night the police got me, but when the judge read out the details of what I did, I could, I could do nothing. I couldn't do anything. What could I say? Right? The evidence was in. Right? I was guilty. And the judge had every right to hand down the punishment to me. He was in the right. I was in the wrong. Uh, and that, that was a scary situation for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. And I'm standing there alone with no defence. Now, I had to stand in front of a human judge. But one day, I have to stand before the judge of the universe. I have to stand before the creator of heaven and earth, who I, who I have personally sinned against. That's a terrifying thought. I know that I've broken his law. I know for sure. I don't remember everything I did, but I know for sure that I've broken God's law. And see, I haven't just rebelled against anybody. I've, I've willfully uh, hated and offended and rebelled against the judge. That's bad news. Right? And I've got to face him. And so do all of you. Every single one of us. And whether we confess it or not, the truth is that you and I have sinned against a holy God. We have broken his laws. And he's angry, right? He's angry with everyone who sins against him. He's not happy with sinners. He's furious. You don't hear that too much these days. Psalm 5 says, God hates all evildoers. Psalm 7 describes God as a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Romans 2 warns people that... Um, they're storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It warns us that there'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil and that God shows no partiality, none. You do not want to be standing alone on the day you face God. Thankfully... You don't have to. You don't have to. Listen to John. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's a day coming when everyone stand before that judge and give an account for their life and some will stand alone and others will stand with an advocate some will stand with an advocate the word advocate is a legal term right it's someone who appears on your behalf um, someone who is called in to help you right we could think in this context we could think of it as a protector a protector The one who stands alone will be just like me when I stood before that judge. I didn't know everything that I'd done wrong, but he did. 
He had the full record. That, that judge could list every single charge against me. And as he read them out, I knew I was guilty. I knew I was guilty. And I knew that I, just, I couldn't avoid the punishment. I could not avoid it. I had to receive the punishment in full. And if that's the case with the human judge, how much more so with the God of the universe? The God who knows all things. The God who knows every single detail of your life. Nothing is hidden in the shadows. Remember, God is light. God is light, John says. And he will shine the light of divine justice on every sin. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will be brought out into the light. Just have a think about your life. What you've done, the things you've thought. Right? Your conscience bears witness. You already know you stand condemned. There's many, many secret sins until the light of God comes and shines it. He's going to shine that light into the darkest corners of our hearts and expose every single inch of it. Nothing will be hidden, exposed in fullness. And all that evidence will be on display and God will by no means clear the guilty. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. No thief, no adulterer, no blasphemer will enter the kingdom of heaven. God promises. So would you honestly want to face him without an advocate? Without any protection from his perfect punishments? No way. And the good news is that you don't have to. Right? I know that's heavy. But there's good news. Because whoever truly knows Jesus will be protected from God on that day. The good news is that some will have an advocate with them on that day. Jesus Christ the righteous. And no other advocate will do. None. The best defence attorney in the world would crumble before God, but not Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is perfectly righteous and in perfect relationship with the judge. We need the sinless son of God who is in perfect standing with the father to represent our case. But how can he do that if we're guilty? How can he do that justly if we're, if we're guilty? Because Jesus Christ, the righteous, has already paid for your sin. In full. He is the propitiation for our sins, verse 2 says. Now some translations may say something like atoning sacrifice, and that's okay. But one or two uses the word expiation instead of propitiation. Expiation. Um, but it's not quite accurate. Expiation is the idea of an action that cleanses from sin. Um, but it doesn't include the concept of turning away God's wrath. Um, propitiation is the best translation into our language. Propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end. And in doing so, uh, makes it possible for God's wrath toward us to be changed into favour. 
In other words, the punishment Jesus took from God removes that same punishment away from us. Now, many people kick back at the idea that God would pour out his wrath upon his own son, that it's unloving. But John, the one who says that God is love, tells us otherwise. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is how he's loved us. Out of, lo out of love, God sent Jesus to pay that penalty for our sin. For God so loved the world that he crushed his only son for you and me. And don't forget, Jesus came willingly. He came willingly to lay down his life for our sins, to take the punishment for you and I so that we don't have to. Right? Jesus says it himself with his, with his own words, greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay down their life for their friends. What greater act to love? To give your life up for the many, even for one. Do you know Jesus? Do you realise that your only hope of eternal life is that Jesus bore the full wrath of God to the end on your behalf, in your place? There is no other hope apart from that. Jesus was perfectly righteous. He had no sin which made him the perfect sacrifice. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system points directly towards Jesus uh, as the once for all perfect sacrifice. All this stuff in the Old Testament just arrows in on Christ. He's the spotless lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And he took it away. He removed our sin by taking that punishment that we deserve in our place. In our place. Jesus protects us from the wrath of God. And he can only do that because on the cross, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. His soul makes an offering for our guilt. He bore the sin of many. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. He bore the sin and he, and he intercedes for us. Jesus is our sin-bearing substitute. God requires a payment to be made for sin. Jesus' death actually paid that price. He was not just an example of a good man. The cross functions. There's an active function of the cross to take the wrath of God so that we can be saved. The cross was an act of love and that act of love paid the price for our sin. Without this payment, without it, there is no forgiveness. We can't be cleansed of sin. We can't be made righteous without this. 
We can't be justified in the sight of God, but the payment has been made. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Romans 3 says it much better than me and much faster, by the way. Here's a snapshot. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Dear Christian, all your sins have been paid for in full by Jesus. And by faith in Jesus, by trusting in what he's done, we're justified in the sight of God. We're counted righteous. We're clean. We're all good with God by faith in Jesus. Jesus can be our advocate. Jesus can plead our case because he has paid that sin debt in full. All the charges against you and me were put on Jesus and dealt with at the cross. You're now protected from God. Right? God will not seek any further payment for your sin because the blood of Jesus has paid for it in full. In full. In full. Ain't that some good news for a Sunday, Arvo? Yeah? You can't keep bearing the weight of your own sin. And if you can't bear it now, it's only getting worse. Give it to Christ. By faith in Christ, that burden will be lifted. Everything's been done. And so we have these two truths. Whoever knows Jesus has protection from sin and whoever knows Jesus has protection from God. The big question is, do you know Jesus? Right, this brings us to the test in verses 3 to 6. I'm pretty certain by now everyone knows what a rat test is, right? Yeah? You've got to know what a rat test is by now. But I've got the only rat test that matters, right? Do you really and truly know Jesus? Do you really and truly know Jesus? Right? That's the rap test I've got this afternoon. Do you really and truly know Jesus? Verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, excuse me, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Remember the context, right? There's people in the church um, teaching false things about Jesus. They claim to have some higher spiritual knowledge, right? And they're leading Christians astray, right? To them, this knowledge was the way of salvation, but this higher spiritual knowledge just led to an ungodly life. The way they li- these people were living their life did not match their confession of faith. 
Um, they were claiming to have fellowship with God, but lived sinful lives. They, they didn't agree with God about their sinful state of being, and they lived immoral lives. John warns the Christians that these people are deceivers, liars, they don't have fellowship with God, they're not in the light, they're in the dark, they're not good with God, they're condemned by God. Right? And these are people who regularly attended church and they didn't know Jesus as saviour. Right? They failed the rat test, it was negative. Now in verses 3 to 6, John make, makes a very, as he does, a very pointed point here. Um, and he's doing it to protect the true believers from deception. Um, so he gives them this diagnostic test. Right? And, and with the same test, he wants to give true believers certainty. He wants to increase their assurance of salvation. And the test helps to clarify that they're in fellowship with God. It certifies whether they truly know Jesus. Not just know about Jesus, um, but know him personally as saviour. Here's the rat test. Here's the evidence that someone truly knows Jesus. You love and obey God. Listen to what John has just said. Not keeping God's commands, right? Not, not keeping God's commands gives certainty that someone does not know him, that someone is a liar, that the truth is not in them, right? The evidence of their life does not match the confession of their faith. Um, they say they know Jesus, but they live sinful lives, habitual sinful lives. But keeping God's commands gives certainty that they know God, that they are in Him, that the love of God is being perfected in them. The evidence of, the, 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 the evidence of their life matches the confession of their faith. Right? These people say they know Jesus and they live godly lives. See, anyone can say they know Jesus. I have conversations like this all the time. But the evidence of their life tells the true story. Right? Obeying, obeying God is the evidence that someone really and truly knows Jesus. Does that mean keeping God's commands to be saved? No. No. Right? Salvation is by faith in what Christ has done, not what we've done. I know what I've done. You know what you've done. Do the math. That does not... You ain't getting to heaven that way. Faith in Christ, right? So keeping God's commands um, will not save you. Faith in Christ will. Does this mean that we're sinless? Right? Does this mean that Christians are sinless? No. Right? John has already said um, in the first chapter, if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. And in this chapter, if we do sin, we have an advocate. Right? So what commands must we keep? It's probably plenty of boxes in your mind by now going, right, okay, well, there's Ten Commandments, is it, you know, the 600 plus laws and the Old Testament? What, what do I have to do? And there's good discussions about that. There's gigantic thick books you can read. I can point them to you if you want. Or we can just hear from the Apostle John. <laughs> Chapter 3. The Apostle John gets a bit more specific about this and he says, 
and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded. So trust in Jesus and love one another as God commands, is what John just said. And in chapter 5, he goes on to say, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God, uh, sorry, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. We, don't have, we can't unpack all that heaps, but here's the thing. Faith in Jesus brings us into the family of God, and faith in Jesus causes us to love God and love others, right? To love the family of God. And that love we show is in obedience to God's commands. Love for God, love for others is the evidence that you really and truly know Jesus. And John's teaching exactly what Jesus taught him, right? Uh, in the Gospel, John 13, Jesus taught this. I give a new commandment to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know that you know Jesus if you have love for one another. Right? Someone who really and truly knows Jesus loves and obeys God. And that obedience shows itself in love for others, especially love for other Christians. You just never know who's watching, eh? People especially love to watch Christians, mainly to pounce on us when we stuff it up. But no matter who's watching your life unfold, would they be able to say without a doubt that you love God and love others? Does that relationship you claim to have with Jesus display itself in love for others? Right? Is it genuine? That's what we're talking about here. Right? We're not putting on shows. We're not, you know, not talking about fakers here. We're talking about genuine love. If you really and truly know Jesus, it may not be perfect. I can guarantee you it won't be perfect, but it will be genuine. It'll be genuine. This is the test. If we call ourselves a Christian, do our actions match that claim? Do you walk the talk, to put it simply? Does your life resemble the life of Christ or not? Our obedience, it can't earn salvation, but it certainly can increase our assurance of it. And though our obedience um, can be genuine, it's also imperfect. So thankfully, thankfully, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you truly know Jesus, you'll have protection from sin. If you truly know Jesus, you have protection from God. And if you truly know Jesus, you'll love God and love others out of obedience to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you give us such a pointed word to check ourselves by. We know it's not always clear. But Lord, I just pray to thank you. Above all things that you sent Jesus to take the punishment we deserve in our place 
for our sin so that we can have forgiveness and cleansing and eternal life so that we can be united to you, brought into your family, adopted as children. Lord, the richness of your word, um, the way you've, you've worked in, in history, Lord, in, in what you've done in Christ is amazing. And I thank you that we get to receive all this by faith, by faith in Christ. I pray that you would grant us that faith. For those who don't have it, would you grant that faith as a gift, as you've said in your word. And help those of us who do know you, who really know you, to grow in our assurance that we know you, to grow in our assurance of salvation. Lord, what can we say but thank you. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.